Lord. Open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 8 this morning as we get into this. And this morning's message will be a little bit different, but uh, all my years as pastoring, um, I really have a passion, and that's to see God's people walk in the fullness of the benefits that belong to them in Christ. And uh, then also besides that, I want to see everybody make heaven. Amen. Amen. That's our goal. And, and I'm just going to throw this out here right now just in advance and uh, in dealing with that. When we live, there's so many things that we think that we could do for God. But all he needs us to do and the only thing he's concerned about is people not going to hell. God is working in the earth to reconcile humanity back to himself. And he, 2 Corinthians 5 said that God was in Christ, in the world, reconciling the world to himself. And then he's given us that ministry of reconciliation. And so as Paul said, we are pleading with you, be reconciled to God. And the reason we recon, uh, uh, plead with people and uh, implore people is because everybody has eternity stamped upon their life. And this morning, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about choices. And our choices determine where we spend eternity. And uh, one, one person said it like this, Our beliefs determine where we spend eternity. Our behavior determines how we spend eternity. And uh, so how we live for God has an effect and, and has a determination upon how we live for God and with God in eternity. But Genesis chapter 8 and as we begin to break this down, we've been ministering on being in Christ. We've been in kind of not really a series. We've just had that as a theme and just uh, unwrapping that and unfolding that in so many different ways, expounding upon the principle of being in Christ. In fact, I read First John again this week, going back through, read First uh, and Second Peter and First, Second, Third John, and reading through. Uh, just in my personal time, and uh, I, I love First John because First John has two themes in it. There's two themes in 1 John. One is to know and the other is to abide. He emphasizes two things. Knowing God's will, but then abiding in Him. And so to know who we are in Christ, to know God's will for our life, and that can be known. But then also the way we live in that and we experience that is by abiding the word abiding. Pastor Tim did a great job last week ministering on abiding, talking a little bit to us about pruning and in those areas so we can bear more fruit. But abiding means to remain. And it's God's will that when we come to Christ, we just remain in Him. Amen? Get rooted, grounded, built up in Him. Um, in Genesis chapter 8, we have God at the end of the flood, and after Noah on the ark, and then coming off the ark, Noah comes off, and he's building an altar, he's worshiping God, and that, and then God shows up and He says something to him. But the reason there was a flood is that God said He came down and He saw that the works of man... And the thoughts and the intents of his heart were only evil continually. Meaning that man has this choice that we can make. We, have, we do have a free will. How many would agree? So we have a free will. We can make choices. And man was just making choices that was not only corrupting his life, but corrupting the world that he lived in. And uh, which is interesting that God says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. And uh, but I, I kind of have a weird way of saying things and looking at things. You've been around here long. That's not a surprise to you. Uh, but it just seems like humanity likes to go stupid on itself. Amen. Look at us in California. Look, aren't you glad that, that, that we really are delivered from straws? I, I just don't know what's holding up the rest of the nation. You know, I can't understand the hesitancy of other states not banning straws and uh, in specific places. I'm so glad we have to buy a grocery bag, but they'll put your stuff at Home Depot in a plastic bag. Because there are certain places that it's just unthinkable to give away bags. So we're just so smart. Amen? And dealing with that. But God says that man had just gone stupid on himself, and because of that, it brought a response from God, and God was going to judge the world and judge humanity. But he was saving and pulling out the righteous and preserving the righteous. And the same thing is happening at the end of the age. God's going to once again judge the world, 
this time not by water, but by fire. But the righteous will have been preserved and taken out. That's what the church is. The church is also an ark. Are you with me? And so it's good to be in the ark. Amen? But as they come out, the Lord makes this declaration to Moses concerning Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. While the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest, cold and heat, and winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So what God says is that man is living and we are governed by, we, we live under the law of seed, time, and harvest. Or in other words, we live under the principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7, the Lord said like this, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man, what? Sows, that shall he also reap. Amen? And so, in dealing with that, that's where we live. Every one of us daily make a choice on how we're going to live our lives, how we're going to invest our lives, invest our time. And we hope that when we get to heaven, God will approve of the choices that we've made. And we'll illustrate that in just a moment. So this morning, as we look into this, we want to just have a good time. Did you bring your Bibles? I skipped over a thing. Did you bring them? Are you ready? Make your declaration with me this morning. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I am empowered by its love. I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Thank you, Father, by your Holy Spirit. I thank you you'll speak and bring clarity, revelation, and understanding to our hearts and to our minds. In Jesus' name. And somebody said... Amen. So look at the cover of your outline. Every person carries within them the power to choose what they will do with their life and what they will become. You're free to choose. Amen. Jesus comes and offers to us God's plan, purpose, and provision for our life, but the choice is up to us. We're all free to choose whatever direction, whatever we want to do for the Lord. But if I give my life to Christ and the Lord says, okay, these are my thoughts and my plans towards you. We, we quote it all the time. Jer people love to quote it. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I know my thoughts and my heart towards you. And so God says, I know my thoughts and my plans for you. Amen. God says, I have thoughts for you and I have plans for you. To do you good and to bring you to an expected end and to bring about restoration. So God said, I have plans for you. You can either have my plans or you can have your plans. And that's the choice where we live. God gives us our lives in seed form and leaves the choice of where to sow up to us. Every one of us, you'll choose every day. We both choose. We all live in this principle of sowing with our life. Every day we make the choices and every choice is a seed that is being sown. See, there are two harvests to be had. The one the world has and the one God has already placed in us. God creates each person. If you look at Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, before I, knew, before I formed you, I knew you. And I ordained you to be. Or in other words, God said, before I formed you, or, and when I formed you, I put an assignment on the inside of you. And I ordained you to be a prophet. Now, Jeremiah could have got that word from the Lord, said, I know God said he, he formed me to be a prophet, but I really would rather be a banker. I know a little bit about the history of our nation and kind of see what happens to prophets. doesn't look really like a favorable occupation in Israel. Jeremiah said, now being a banker sounds a little more pleasing. And I could be a banker and still love the Lord, I'm sure. How I many know what I'm saying? But God said, no, I formed you to be, and what I formed you to be is the harvest that I have for your life. The choice we face is if we will live for the harvest we can form or for the harvest he has already formed in us. That's a challenge for every Christian. Am I going to live for what God put in me, or, I, or am I going to live for what I can produce from me? Two choices. Amen. See, eternity and the power of choice is what we're all faced with. So, over the next couple of weeks, we'll break this down a little bit more, but this morning I'm really focusing on choice and sowing. So some of the things we're going to be looking at as we move forward, what does the Bible say about choice? There's a lot about choice in the Bible. How many know Joshua stood before the nation of Israel and he said, choose you this day whom you will serve? 
So they had a choice. They said, if God is God, serve God. If Baal is God, serve Baal. As for me and my house, I've made the choice that we are going to serve the Lord. Amen? And so the whole nation was set with the choice to decide. The question comes up, does man actually have a free will to choose where and how he will spend eternity? We may go to uh, the points of Calvinism in that, not for argument, just for, to teach on things in clarity. But, but, but uh, Calvinism believes in total depravity, which means that man is so deprived because of his fallen nature, there's no way he could choose to ever live for God. So God has to save him on his own without man having any choice of his own. Which brings us to the point, is salvation based upon our choice or is it only for a selected and elected few? We will get into that. Based upon my life and my choices, are there rewards and judgments connected to my choices here that will have an influence upon eternity? And I believe there are. I believe the way that we live, the Bible is very clear, and we'll see it through a lot of Scripture, that the Bible is very clear the way we live our life is going to have an impact upon how we spend eternity. It's one thing to go to heaven. I, I, I kind of wrote it down the other day and thinking about some things. I think most people have a socialistic view of heaven. That heaven's just this place where everybody's equal. Everybody gets the same reward. Everybody, we're just going to sit on the beach and drink, uh, drink virgin Mai Tais. <laughs> Amen. Because it's just going to be this wonderful party place laid back. We, we have some pretty squirrely ideas. We really thought them out. We kind of made them up. They can't really get them in Scripture, but uh, they make us feel good. Amen. So with that, but people have that idea that everything was equal. Heaven has a reward system connected to it. Amen. Jesus said, you have been faithful over little, I will make you ruler over much. And so that, that, that's reward and responsibility and activity. Amen? And so, but if I've been faithful, unfaithful over little, he's definitely not going to make me ruler over much. Are you doing all right? All right. So there are rewards connected. Look inside your outline if you would. See, God gives us our life in seed form and leaves a choice of where to plant our life up to us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we've been dealing with this and brings up almost every week as we've been on this. If any man is in Christ, what? He's a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. But to be in him, I must plant myself in him. I must choose daily to live abiding in Christ. It's a daily choice that we make, living in and abiding in Him. Every person chooses where they will invest or plant their life. Daily, I'm either investing, I'm either making kingdom investment, or I'm just making investments in my life now. And most of the time, we're so burdened down with the pressures of this life, it's hard for us to think with an eternal mindset. And so again, as your pastor, I like what Pastor Morocco said the first time soon I got to go to Hawaii, and we were there in Maui, we went to church, and uh, he made the statement to the congregation as he was receiving the offering and teaching about giving. He said, my goal and my objective as a pastor is to make sure you look good in heaven, that when you get there, you show up and you're prepared. Amen. How many have ever prepared to go anywhere? How many have been on vacation this week, this summer? You went, you went anywhere this summer? Anybody besides Sue and I? Amen. So if we go camping, it takes a lot of preparation to go camping. Think, we're well, just going to go camp and chill out and do nothing. Man, it's a lot of work to do nothing. It takes a lot of preparation in advance so that when you show up there, you're prepared to arrive. Are you with me? And so when it comes to going to heaven, here's my question. How are you preparing All right, moving right along. I'll let you think about that. Praise the Lord. So think about it. So how I invest my life is connected to my preparation. Your life is your highest source of investment capital. Your choice of where you invest will determine your rate of return. So there's so many things we can do with our time in doing that. But where we choose to invest, that's all going to be connected to a return. There are some things, when I go camping, the only return I'm expecting to get out of that is rest. Amen. Amen. I know a lot of people go on vacation, and they like to be busy everywhere they go. And when you come back, you need to rest from your vacation. 
That's not a vacation to me. That's an, a, you know, a, a workout. So I like to go sit down, chill out, do nothing, think about nothing, enjoy myself. Amen? And get refreshed. Praise the Lord. So think about this. Investment capital is this. They are assets that can be invested in the marketplace for the highest rate of return. If you have any money right now that you're saving and you have put aside in that, then you want to have a a, a return on that. You want to have that invested where it's working and, and, and multiplying and building a return. But if you just go to the bank right now and say, hey, I would like to open a savings account, they're not going to give you much of a return, less than a quarter, about a quarter of a percent, maybe 0.45%, less than half a percent in a passbook saving. You can get a mutual, I mean a money market account, maybe get close to 1%, maybe one and a quarter depending upon the terms of that or how much you have to have invested. You can get a CD, maybe, depending upon the length of term. You can get close right now to almost 3%. But how many know that if you wanted to make a little bit more than that, you're going to invest in something that has a higher risk connected to it? If I just want to be safe, then I'm not going to get much return. Here's the challenge with that. When it comes to investing our life, we, there's a high risk because we're concerned about losing. When it comes to money, investing money, we have the fear of losing our principle. When it comes to investing our life in God, we, we feel like we're, that giving our life to God is too high of a risk in living for him, that I'm going to lose my life. Jesus says the only way to save your life is to what? lose it. So if I try to keep my life, I'm going to end up losing it. And so to take the risk and to dive in, and the devil always uses the fear of law to keep you from investing. See, always a risk is involved in investing. Man, there's always a choice either to play it safe or to take the risk. God and his word are to be our investment counselor for your life. I must be able to believe that the one who made me will have my best interest at heart. I, I kind of got mad yesterday. I've been watching the, the golf tournament. Most people watch it to go to sleep. I get excited watching it and that. But, but I've been watching uh, the, the championship, the end of the FedEx Cup championship and stuff. Well, yesterday they had to cancel prayer. Um, prayer. They had to cancel play because of a thunderstorm coming through Atlanta and stuff. And as they were getting people off the course, they had a lightning actually struck the course, struck a tree on the course, and four people were injured by flying debris coming off of that tree. And so the way they're explaining it, naturally, now that is an act of God. I'm thinking four people got some splinters and didn't die. That's an act of God. God protected them. But for some reason, we think if a natural disaster happens that has some kind of calamity connected to it, somehow that gets blamed on God. What happens when something happens and nobody dies? Everybody gets delivered. Why don't we go, that was an act of God. And so what happens is we are challenged with that, believing that God is on our side. And when you read the scriptures, you find out that God is actually always working on your behalf and for your betterment. Jesus said this. He said to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And everything the word of God asks of us to do is all instructions and help so that we end up where he is. Amen. And that that we can take all that out. So God is always working on our benefit to get us to where he is. As I said, he's in the world reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And now he gives us that ministry that we would implore and plead with people. Be reconciled to God. Make the right choice. Think with eternity and live with eternity in mind. Could you say amen? So God is the one who has our best interest at heart. See, I will never increase by holding on to what I have. When we hold on, the reason we hold on is we live with the fear of loss. But if I don't understand sowing and reaping, then I'm being bound by fear. This is true for relationships, finances, and all of life. I must plant, sow, and invest before I can increase. Let's talk about relationships. In our culture today, people are getting married later and later in life, which is fine, being responsible and getting up there. I prefer to get married when you're young before you're too smart to talk yourself out of it. (laughs) 
But anyway, in that standpoint, but what happens is, see, the way for a relationship, a marriage in a relationship is two people who sow their lives into each other. But now people are saying, wait a minute, I have, before I sow my life and bless them with my life, because if they get me, they get a prize. Because I'm all of that and a bag of chips. Amen? And so I expect them to be this, to be that, to have this, to like this, to do this, to do that. And wait a minute. So we have all these lists of expectations before we can sow. Instead of be thinking, wait a minute, I'm, I'm amazed that anybody would want me. Amen. I'm surprised my wife said yes 40 years ago. Amen. Because I've, I, amen. And I'm still a work in progress. Amen. One of these days I'll get a real shouting amen out of my wife. Amen. <coughs> so what happened? <coughs> I have all these requirements before I give my life. And sow my life into somebody ate a peanut bar before Now I'm reaping what I sowed. <clears throat> but in that, <clears throat> in that I'm, I, we get so hesitant to give ourselves and to sow ourselves and die to receive. But two lives, when they're sown into each other, when I sow, we're supposed to live out of the harvest that comes out of that new life. We, we die to ourselves and we live new. It is exactly what happens when we give our lives to Christ. We die to ourselves. And we give our life to Christ. For us to think, man, God got a prize when he got us. No, he didn't. We got a prize when we got him. <clears throat> Amen. And he chooses to sow his life into us, and we give our life completely back to him. So think about this. <clears throat> I never increase by holding on to what I have. See, until a seed is sown, it has reached its highest rate of return. Whatever you have in your hand, your life, until you sow it, it's not going to get any more. Okay, our whole life, point number two, our whole life is a harvest based upon the wisdom of our investments. I look at my life. How many at, at your age wished you would have made smarter choices earlier in life? I just feel the Lord right there deserve both hands. Amen? Could avoid a lot because we made choices and then you walk through that season. I shared this even earlier. When I turned 54, they diagnosed me, me with hepatitis C and it was a harvest of the seed that I sowed from sticking a needle in my arm when I was 18 and 19 years old. I sowed the seed. But when it came about and the harvest came, but I also, now that I had changed choices, I'm now walking in grace, and now I'm empowered to make that through that. So when they gave me the diagnosis, my response was, oh, no, wasn't, oh, no, I have hepatitis C. My response was, this too shall pass. Amen? Because now I'm graced. I, I can't cut off the harvest, but I'm graced to make it through that harvest and come out victorious on the other side. Are you listening to me? So I found out it's probably wisdom to quit sticking things in your arm. Amen? Or whatever that is, or all those choices, it comes to pound. So our whole life is a harvest based on the wisdom of our investments, if there was any connected to them. God has a preformed harvest waiting for all. Our steps of obedience in agreement with his counsel lead us to what he has already prepared for our life. David, if you have it, put up Ephesians 2, verse 10 in the Amplified again. And we'll read this as soon as he gets it up. But God has prepared a seed, the soil, and the harvest. All he is looking for is a sower to agree with him. Think about that. Every seed contains an assignment from God, and that assignment is contained in the seed. Are you ready? Ephesians 2 verse 10 in the Amplified again. Here it is. Now, watch this. This is so powerful. So read this with me. So follow along with me. For we are God's what? own handiwork we are his what workmanship now watch recreated in Christ Jesus born anew now watch that we may do those good works for which he predestined planned beforehand for us taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in what 
in them. So now we have a choice. God's saying here, Paul is saying, God, we recreated him, and in that, God has a plan and a path already created for us to walk in and to walk out, look at that, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I mean, no, that's just a great verse. That's so awesome that God has that for us to live. Yeah, but I, I think I could produce something really good myself. It will always be less than the good life he has for you. His life comes with no fears. It comes with no worries. It comes with no anxiety. It comes with no stress. Amen. It is a good life. Could you shout amen? So so God is just looking for somebody to agree and to be a sower of their life into him. And and I use this little, little illustration a lot, but it just makes perfectly sense. See, for you, this is what God said. I have a prearranged harvest for your life. You're a seed, you're Mr. Bean here, and you're a seed, and this is what's on the inside of you. Well, can I be corn? I would rather be something else. But... Anything, but, but this, this, all that is in this. And, and it's contained in there. And all this has to do to release all that is to be sown into soil. Amen? And, and the assignment, everything that, that it's created to be naturally flows out of it. The bean is not going to worry about how to produce. It's not going to be frustrated. It's not going to stay up at night. It's not going to lose sleep over being what it was created to be. You and I, when we understand that, if we ever see ourselves and see our lives in seed form and understand my only responsibility is to sow my life into Christ, then what he put in me naturally flows out of me. Look at this point. He is the soil for our life. The seed of our life is the seed, and he already formed the harvest in it. Your harvest is already in you. Everything in our lives is in seed form. God has created each of us with special purpose for our lives already on the inside of it. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we plant the seed of our life into the soil of his kingdom. The seed planted begins to grow, and purpose begins to manifest. Once a life is planted in him... The harvest that he has planned for us begins to grow and come forth in our lives on every level. All we have to do is keep ourselves rooted and grounded in him. And the old passes away and the new begins to grow out of our lives. Or in other words, we are just called to abide. Living in Christ. Are you with me? See, everything I'm ever going to be is already in me, and it's in you in seed form. Philippians 1, 6, Paul said, He who has begun a good work in you. Amen? Colossians 1, 27, that Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so this includes the gifts and the ministry and the fruit of the Spirit. So all this is in us. And so how do I release this amazing life and all the provision and the fullness that God has placed in us? It begins by sowing and abiding in him. Amen? See, God always directs you to look inside while the enemy always causes you to look outside for your destiny. If I had this, if I had, the devil always has you looking out here. God wants you to look inside in the life that he's placed on the inside of you. See, my choices on how and where I sow determines whether I see the 30, 60, or 100-fold full maturity in my life. So think about this. If you read the parable of the sower, the word comes and the word begins to produce. I receive the word in my life and it begins to produce. Even when it's on stony ground, it springs up immediately. The word always produces. And so, but the enemy always comes to attack the word from producing. So if he can't steal it when it is first planted, then the next thing he does, he brings persecution and affliction in the heat of the sun. And if that doesn't work through persecution and affliction, the next thing he does, he brings the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Those entering in begin to choke the word, and the word becomes unproductive. Amen? But good ground that keeps itself clean and pure 
prayer. So my only heart is to keep my heart in a right condition and keep my life sown in the kingdom. And his word in me produces by its own inherent power. Are you doing all right? So important to understand. And so God gives us that area in our life. How I use the potential that he has placed in my life is what I will give an account for. I can use it to produce increase in my life or to produce increase for his kingdom. Now, how many expect to go to heaven besides me? How many want to go right now? A few of you like a little eight-year-old boy not ready for a load to be taken up just yet. Amen. So let me say this again. What, is the, what would you say is the treasure of heaven? What is heaven's treasure? Thank you. You are. The only thing God wants out of this earth is you. Nothing else. He wants you and everybody connected to your life to be in heaven with him. The treasure of heaven is souls. It's nothing else. The fruit of the kingdom is soul. The harvest of the kingdom is soul. Jesus, as the whole town of Samaria was coming out to meet him, drawn out by the woman uh, at the well. Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are ripe unto harvest. As people are coming out to hear the gospel. He prayed also, said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest field. And so the only thing God wants to harvest out of this earth, this soul, the only way he can harvest souls is through us. See, God can only judge us righteously, though, if he is connected to what is in us. So God's going to give an account, but the only way he can give an account is he's connected. So he's put harvest on the inside of us. And so there's that day when he is going to hold us accountable. If you have your Bible, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Read a few verses, and I have an illustration for you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we all, we quote it, we shout it, we agree with it, we amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things pass away, yes, hallelujah, all things become new, yes, amen. <coughs> we love it. But if you go back to verses 9 and 10, Paul says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Amen. Paul said, I make this my aim, whether I'm present with you or absent, <clears throat> that I want to be well-pleasing to him. Why? Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in this body. How many would like to know before you go to heaven so you have time to repent? Amen. I don't know about you, I like to keep my repentance up to date as in daily. Amen? Amen. I like to keep it. Amen. What? That each one may receive the things done in the body. Now what? According to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the believer, Paul writing to the believer, says we're all going to go before the judgment seat of Christ. And then we're going to give an account for how we live. Amen. Now l let me just say this when it comes. One of the pitfalls that the enemy uses in our lives to draw us away is money and resources. How many know money can't buy the will of God? It can't produce the will of God. Money is a tool to be used for kingdom purpose. Amen? And so I, I cannot produce his will. I have to obey his will. Amen? <clears throat> so watch this. Uh, 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, uh, Romans chapter 14. And I know you guys all have these on your refrigerator. <laughs> Romans 14 in verse 10 says this. It says, but why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Wow. I mean, that's a sobering thought right there. 
give an account. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I don't have time, I wish I had time to read the whole area here, because Paul is talking to the church, they're very carnal, they're comparing themselves, one between, I'm Paul, I'm Apollos, I'm Cephas, I'm this or that, and Paul says, hey, the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ is the foundation, and how we build upon that foundation is the only thing that matters. Amen? So Paul says in verse 10, or verse 9, he says, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds upon it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can one lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Wow. So in thinking about this, see, God forms our life as a seed, and he places assignment on the inside of me for a harvest, and that's why he can judge me. God expects what to receive what he put in us. I remember the parable of the talent and the meanness. The master gives something to the people and trusts him with and expects coming back based upon what he entrusted them with. So how can I illustrate this this morning? I'm glad you asked. If we could, these candles are going to be the fire before the judgment seat of Christ. Now everybody, when it comes to doing the will of God, Christianity has developed this all-encompassing scapegoat. And as long as we say this, it covers everything. Okay? Does anybody know what that statement is? And if you were in first service, you can't say. So when it comes to doing the will of God, or doing different things, or obeying the word, or being, you know, not changing things, or moving things around, uh, we, there, there's just this statement that we can say and it automatically nullifies having to be fully obedient. Anybody, huh? Well, if the Lord wills, well, no. It's the, it, huh? The Lord, no, thank you. The Lord knows my heart. I know the Bible says that, but God knows my heart. And that's the, Coverall disclaimer for obedience. Amen? And so the Bible says there are two kinds of people. There are those who hear the word of God and those who do the word of God. So we've got hearers and doers. Amen? And so to be a hearer of the word isn't good enough. I have to be a doer of the word regardless of not whether God knows my heart. Now, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to take our work. Jesus said, there will be many who come to me in that day. And so, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And then think, as long as I prophesied to somebody somewhere at some time, that's going to be good enough. Well, the, the, we just read that every man's work is not going to be a conversation. We're just going to, the Bible said, we're going to line up and it's going to be your turn to walk through. But Lord, before I go in, you know my heart, right? Yes, take a walk. Amen? And so we walked through, but I prophesied. Uh-oh. But Lord, I help people get set free and delivered. But Lord, I operated in mighty works and wonders. Oh, that didn't work. I know this will make it. I was a giver. And I know what your word says about giving, but, but you know, you know my heart. You know I always wanted to give more. Say, Pastor, you're getting personal. That's my point. How many know it's better to get it here than in heaven. 
But Lord, what about all the good works? I taught Sunday school for 35 years. Did you see those kids? But Lord, I did it all qualifying it in your name. Because Matthew 7, he said, many will come to me in that day and said, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus said, depart me and didn't make it. The question is, is what did God give you to do? And so we have excuses for not being a witness, for not doing the things that we know we're supposed to do. The will of God is this, is that our life, God gives us and calls us and he puts his purpose inside of it so that when we pass through the fire, we end up with a harvest. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moss and rust and thieves, where moss and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't decay and, and thieves do not break in and steal. So obedient to the will of God means that my life and my actions, God, I want to live obedient. I want my will, not your will be done. Amen? I mean, your will, not my will be done. So I want to live by the, by the will of God so that when I pass through the fire, my life makes it. I don't have to claim an excuse. I don't have to debate with God. I make it through the fire. Amen? And getting through. So when I get to the other side, that I have laid up treasure and I will actually have treasure in heaven. Now let me put it to you like this. The devil knows that many people, and, and on that day, I just was kind of being silly, but I was thinking... I think there's some people that are going to hope that there's smoke odor eliminator in heaven. So that when they come out on the other side. They don't smell like smoke. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But the devil knows that he may not be able to get you to give up on your faith in Christ. But if he can get you caught up doing the thing that will not make it through the fire, he may not be able to keep you to heaven, but he'll do everything he can so that when you get to heaven, you have no reward. You have an adversary that is against you. And there's certain things, people ask me, well, Pastor, you do this, would you do that, would you do that? I said, I, I can't, I'm, I'm under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And being under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he directs my life. I prayed a prayer. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll be whatever you ask me to be. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll say whatever you tell me to say. I will live for you the rest of my life. Making those choices for myself are no longer mine. I'm called to be led by the Spirit. Amen? That what the people said, Lord, in that day, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that, and I did it all in your name. And so that has to be as good as doing what you actually wanted me to do. Amen? Amen. But I can't present, present a substitute for his will. I have to do his will. That's why Jesus says, only those who do the will of my Father. Are you with me? Say, Pastor, why are you preaching like this? I kind of put it to you, I have kind of a two-way purpose for this this morning. Over these last several years, I've walked with a lot of people through a lot of sudden losses of life. Meaning that it wasn't planned, it wasn't prepared for, it came suddenly. Meaning that people transitioned from here to eternity suddenly. And when suddenly comes, and you're go from this life and you step into eternity, all the preparation is over. All you're going to end up with is that's how you're going to stand before Christ at that moment. Paul gets us to live. This is why people miss it in misunderstanding. I, I was reading 
that where Peter said, going back through First and Second Peter, where people miss it because one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Amen? And so, but people think, well, if the Lord was going to come back, he should have been back by now. But the word of God is written with this premise over it. The imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning that the Lord could come back at any moment. And the reason it's written that way is so that we always live soberly and ready that at any moment. Amen? As a thief in the night, unexpectedly. So you're to live prepared every day. As your pastor, I want you living soberly. I want you living vigilantly. I want you ready. In fact, I thought about it years ago when Donnie Moore used to first come to our church and evangelists used to come. They would have revival meetings. The evangelists would always give the altar call and they would say this. If you died today, would heaven be your home? People go, oh, that's hellfire and brimstone. No, that's just a good question. Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to walk through the fire? Because, see, when it comes time to go through the fire, you don't get to explain anything. There'll be no conversation. It'll just, I, I'm, I have a weird mind. I just kind of think everybody's lined up and the Lord's just going to say, next. And I go. So think about all the things and all the conversations we have when it comes to living for God, the way we talk to people, the way we explain our life, and everything else we do to kind of appease our own conscience. Am I doing all right? When, I, when, when something, and then when I read the word, I go, yeah, I'm sure glad God knows my heart because I'm not doing that. <laughs> Amen? You say, Pastor, this is pretty serious this morning. No, this isn't serious. This is an illustration. Walking through the real fire is serious. Because once that goes, then that's sealed for all of eternity. And when Jesus said, listen, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Heard one pastor say it like this. He says, the problem is that too many of us have more invested in our IRAs than we have in our ERA. Your ERA is your eternal retirement account. And let me just say this again. The number one thing that God cares about is souls. If I think I'm going to get to heaven and the only thing that's going to end up over here is anybody connected to my life. God cares about souls. We have to be, as a believer, we have to be concerned about people coming to Christ. I have to be praying for people to be saved. I, I, I don't have time to read it. Next, time we'll go, next week we'll go through 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Everything, or chapter 9. Everything about 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and God providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater is connected with ministry taking place. And Paul says, when you sow this, our administration of your gift is going to be given to them. The seed you sow is going to go to them, and it's going to bring deliverance, an answer, provision, salvation. And through that, your gift is going to bring praise and thanksgiving and glory to God. Amen? And so when you sow, God ordained, he said, through your giving, you cause meat to be in my house. And that meat in my house, God proved ministry. God says, I'm going to build my kingdom, and I'm going to build the church and the kingdom of the earth. The way I'm going to do it is I'm going to provide seed into my people's life. It's just so amazing. God said I, I, he provides seed to the sower, bread to the eater, and then he multiplies your seed. I wish we had time to read it this morning. And continue to abound so that we can be these amazing, generous givers. Or, or just, we're just, he empowers us to be sower. Not just to finance it, but in every area of our life. You know the best way to have more time is to sow some? We have all these things that come in and steal and eat up our time. But if I give some time to God, it's amazing how he caused things to work out and he redeemed time back to us. Are you doing all right? And so in that, but as I sow, God says, I'm going to sow and through your seed, so through your giving, and, and God uses it around money. But when I give, somehow that translates into a treasure that ends up in heaven. But that's always connected to people, not money. You're not going to get to heaven and have $50,000 in a bank account. 
Amen. That's not the economy of heaven. So something else has to be connected. So when giving, when we're sowing and, and, and Sharwan is ministering to children in India, when, when, when Elwood and Yad are ministering to the children in, in Liberia there, when we're sowing and people are, are in the prisons and, and Louis and Leanne are leading young men to Christ down in, at, at, at the prison down here in Ione and, uh, and, or in Sonora there, and, and these young men are coming to Christ and Phil Schlepping, these other, we have two ministries that we share in prison. When these guys are inside, and prisoners are getting saved, your, your resources you've sown, you've been sowing as you did this morning, and the kingdom is growing if you're giving that, then there, there's something that's going to make it through the fire. Are you doing all right? So with my life and how I give, but if, I, if something touches my heart and I get the heart of God to sow because God's heart is that nobody would perish. And I'm giving and I want to live. So I, I don't know about you. I, I want to live when I get to heaven. If one person says thank you. Amen. If I get there. And I get to heaven. And there's actually one person. That made it to heaven. Because I wasn't just a hearer. I was a doer. In giving my life to Christ. In living my life for Christ. I'm good. Amen? The worship team, come back. Bill, come back this morning. Just Bill. I want you to stand with me this morning. I know this is not scriptural at all. But think about it maybe like this. What if the only people we get to hang out with heaven is the people we brought there with us? I don't have any chapter or verse for that. This thought just came to my head. I'm just saying. What if that was the case? You get to heaven. Okay. one friend amen but here's the amazing thing that if I reach one Jesus reached one woman at a well who reached a whole city so Jesus' harvest wasn't just the one but the harvest that was connected to the one amen and so harvest is always different than the way we think. Bow your heads with me this morning.